This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can admit it. I saw your toes tapping. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Salter. Welcome to our program here on The Fan. This first Sunday in the month of December. You know what that means. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas. Yes, I said that word. Have you been to a store lately? (laughs) Not pretty. Not a pretty situation. Well, on our show today, we should have a very good discussion. I've been looking forward to meeting the gentleman who's seated to my right this Sunday morning uh, for some time. He is the author of a book entitled Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on on a true story. Patrick Callahan has joined us in studio here at The Fan. First of all, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for having me on the show. It's very nice to have you uh, join us. Um, There's lots of different thoughts uh, surrounding um, the book. There's different areas that we want to get into in the course of our discussion and the time that you're going to be with us on our show, which is between now and the end of our program at 7.30 this morning. But let's go back to putting this book together. Doing this from a chronological point of view and also from the standpoint of what this was like personally for you. Okay. What was the journey journey like? Well, I should any, every journey has a beginning, mm. so I should probably go back to the beginning of my journey. Um, I was born in uh, northern New Jersey in 1956. Um, I was an only child. My parents were already in Eleanor Callahan. Uh, my father was a postman, and my mother was a housemaker, homemaker, um, and uh, we lived up north. And about the age of four, we moved suddenly down to the Jersey Shore, picked up uh, in the middle of the night and left. And uh, my mother had said we moved to the shore to be near her parents who had recently retired and moved there themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So we moved to the shore and I I led a fairly idyllic life in a rural setting um, with my friends. um, But there was always some 
things that I couldn't uh, understand about my family. Just It seemed like we had some secrets, and my parents never spoke of their North Jersey days again. They left that in the past. Um, and they explained away certain events in my life that uh, were kind of strange, uh, to say the least. Um, so throughout my youth, uh, my mother was ill, in and out of the hospital, in and out of rehabs, uh, took a lot of medication. I never understood what the cause of her illness was. And my father always said, it started when you were born. <laughs> Imagine saddling a child with that statement. Um, wow. So <laughs> I, uh, I've always felt that I was the cause of my mother's illness in a strange way. Um, but it was never explained to me why it happened to coincide with my birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so 40 years go by. Both of my parents pass away. My mother died when I was 22. My father when I was 37. I turned 40, and a month later I found out they had adopted me at birth. And it was a big family secret, and no one was ever to uh, talk about it or explain why or any of that. So uh, I contacted my remaining relatives, and... um, they were very angry that I discovered the secret. Uh, the Callahan family was a very large extended family mm-hmm. from Newark, New Jersey. Um, so when they found out that I had discovered this secret, uh, they were very angry and refused to talk about it, refused to give me any details. And being a naturally inquisitive person, I decided to uh, investigate the story myself. <laughs> so at the age of 40, I... I had to rediscover my life, and uh, I went about um, a, a very intense investigation, and I kept a journal the whole time, and I kept thinking, this is a great book. So over the course of the last 20 years, I put the book together, and I got really serious about it the last two years, and um, because of the controversial nature of the book, I decided to novelize it and change the names of the people and places involved other than my immediate family. And that brings us to today. I asked you this question when I first met you earlier this morning, so I'm going to ask you this again here in this setting during our show. This experience doing this book, how has this changed you? Well, it's changed me for the better. Um, I was very, um, I was very hurt, you know, in the beginning um, that my parents had lied to me. Mm. Um, I felt deceived. I felt, um, you know, that a horrible se- secret had been kept from me, and and everyone knew but me, including my cousins and and apparently people in my own neighborhood where I grew up down here at the shore, or down at the shore. Um, but the um, process of writing the book was very cathartic for me, mm-hmm. and it helped me understand a lot of things uh, about everyone involved, but most of all, it helped me understand myself um, and where I had come at this point in my life, the, the journey I had taken. And I was grateful that I had uh, 
you know, my wife, Tina, and uh, my daughters, Claire and Kate, and I had a good life now. Um, and I kind of left all that stuff in the past after I wrote the book. It, it, it helped me to heal, and um, I became a much stronger person for it. And uh, it's, uh, it's changed my life in a, in a positive way in the end. Now, I should mention, because I didn't mention this in introducing you, I mean, this is not the first time that you have written. No, no. All right. Uh, so you have experience as, as an author. Um, what made doing this book a different process for you than other books? Or did it? It, it did because it was about me. It was about my life. Um, I'd, I'd always been artistic since I was a child. I... Uh, I was an artist first. I was a poet. I was a writer. Um, in my teenage years, I learned to play guitar, and I I was interested in writing my own songs. So at the age of 16, I took my poetry and I transformed it into songs and added music. Um, and I followed my, my dreams that way. And uh, somehow, at the age of 25, I became an electrician, go figure it. <laughs> and I was in that trade for 35 years, um, but I never gave up the the artistic side of myself. And um, ironically, the book has been the most successful thing that I've done, and it's about my life, my my secret life. Which, if I didn't have that story, I wouldn't have written the book, and maybe uh, I would just be writing for a hobby right now. But I do have a lot of stories still, and I. I hope to be a, a, a professional author. Um, I'm looking for a traditional publishing company to uh, pick up the book and perhaps offer me a writing contract. And inevitably, I would like to see the book made into a, a feature-length movie. Uh, it certainly has all the elements of a great, uh, great story. It certainly does. That title, Decades of Deception, was that the only title for this book? Yes, and I have to give the credit to that to my wife, Tina. Uh, she came up with that title, and it was absolutely perfect, and we've never considered another title, and I've stayed with that. Hmm. Interesting discussion that we're having, and we've really just started in our talk with uh, Patrick uh, Callahan on our program on The Fan he is the author of Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story, and he's in studio with us on our program today. What we have not done thus far, um, I'd like to do this a couple of different times in discussion. What website is attributed to this book, to your efforts? Well, I have my uh, own website, uh, www.decadesofdeception.com. And the book is published with Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and either put my name, Patrick J. Callahan, or the title Decades of Deception in the search bar, it will come up. And the book can be ordered on Amazon as a paperback or as a Kindle. Okay, so it's Decades of Deception. Our guest on our program on the fan this morning is Patrick Callahan. He is going to be with us for our entire show. We go till 7.30. And we're going to continue in our uh, chats with you. Um, lots of different areas where I want to go, and I also want to follow on what you just said about your hopes 
for this book, the reaction to it, and what may come from that, too. Some of the areas where we will go as we continue on our program. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are in discussion with Patrick Callahan on our program on the fan. He is the author of Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue, which is based on a true story. And he's in studio uh, talking with us about the experience in doing this book. Um, You know, you talked earlier about uncovering the secret at the age of, what, 40? Yes. At that time, what, what did you know about adoption? Um, I know very little, mm-hmm. uh, very little about adoption. I knew a few kids in school that were adopted, but that was probably the extent of it. Hmm. And how did that change as this whole knowledge of this secret unveiled? Well, I came to view adoption in a firsthand uh, account Mm -hmm. and uh, began to understand the feelings of being an adoptee, not knowing where you came from, uh, not knowing who your parents were, what they were like, what you inherited from them whether it be physical traits, uh, medical uh, talent. Mm -hmm. Um, I did discover that my paternal grandfather was a Dutch painter. And I I kind of imagined that my artistic uh, talents came from from him (laughs) on the positive side. But uh, it it just, uh, I began to understand uh, the feelings. And uh, I went to some support groups uh, in Morristown, um, adoption support group uh, back in the late 90s when I first found out. And uh, it helped me, but I, I wanted to move on and, and discover my own story and get to the end of the story. Um, and that's what I did, and I continued on my journey uh, from there. And, but I did learn a lot about adoption, which I many things I had not known before. Like what? Um, just the, uh, the feeling of um, kind of being isolated, mm. um, especially when you thought you, you knew who you were, but now all of a sudden I find I'm, I'm, I could be someone different. You know, I, and I, I always had um, feelings of um, isolation. I, I enjoyed being alone. I was more of a loner. Um, I could always entertain myself. <clears throat> by writing or painting or uh, just taking a walk and thinking. Uh, I always had a lot of a lot of thoughts, and I tried to put them down on paper. And um, But uh, it kind of made me understand why I was that way, because it probably somehow generated from where I had come from originally, which, is, which drove me to find out uh, as much as I could about my my past and, and my uh, paternal and maternal uh, origins. 
Um, it, it was upsetting to me not to be born of my parents. Um, I had always believed that. And after 40 years, you find out it wasn't true. It was devastating. But I had to get past that and uh, kind of dig into the past and, and, and kind of see what, if it, how it made me the man I am today. And I think a lot of it had to do with uh, some of the uh, family lineage that I came from. And I uh, tried not to, uh, I hope the negative side of that uh, would not affect me so much because uh, there was a lot of negative that I discovered in my journey. Hmm. And, you know, as you discover those things and, you know, you're going to discover because of the nature of what you're doing, you're going to discover things that are pluses and good. And you're going to discover some things that you kind of wished you had never discovered. Okay. Um, Along the way, how do you handle that? Well, because it sounds like it can be almost like an emotional roller coaster. That's exactly what it was. Um, it was very difficult at first, and um, I probably see from '96 to about 2001, so five years time. I really uncovered pretty much everything I was going to learn about uh, where I came from and the, who I came from, and what those people did to my parents, and, and that's really what the book is about. My parents had a very horrible uh, experience uh, um, with my adoption because my adoption, the one thing my relatives did tell me was it was an illegal adoption. Mm. Um, and I fa- actually found the attorney, he was still alive, that performed my adoption and did all the legal work for it. So I looked him up. Actually, I had my attorney call him, and he wouldn't return his phone calls. So I called him. And he invited me up to his office to give me my adoption papers. And uh, I went to his office, and he handed me these onion-skinned, typewritten pages that told this sordid tale of my birth mother and the many children she had and the many men she had. And uh, It was just a shocking tale. Um, so I decided that I was going to look up everybody that was mentioned in the adoption record. There were a lot of people mentioned. And everyone that was still alive that I approached apparently knew nothing about their names being used in my adoption record. So I began to see this as a fraud. And I approached the attorney. He was a very seasoned old gentleman who uh, passed away before I could get the truth out of him. So uh, I had to find my own truth. I did that by researching and going to the Newark Public Library and going to the newspapers and the court. Um, and uh, the family court looked at my adoption papers and said, something's irregular here. And there was a docket number, and they couldn't find anything. And several months later, I got a call from the registrar who said, we found a file with the number, but no name, nothing on it. Wow. And the judge unsealed it. And um, it was missing a lot of paperwork that should have been in there. It was just a typewritten account. So I knew that uh, this whole thing was a fraud. Um, So I heavily researched every aspect. And 
Decades of Deception is the story of that investigation. Um, and I, I sort of write it, wrote it a little bit like a detective novel, um, a, a cross between a detective novel and a movie script, because it was like living a movie. I, f I felt the cameras were rolling, and everywhere I went, I was in a scene. I was in some sleazy tavern or some seedy apartment building, police stations, attorney's offices, out on the streets, talking to people, getting threats. I knew I was getting close to the truth. Um, and it was quite an experience, but it, uh, I, got to, I felt better about it once I learned everything and I, I settled it all. But it was quite disturbing going through it uh, for those five years. Mm. You know, some people listening and thinking about the experience you've shared with us uh, thus far might think, It's almost an overwhelming situation to think of when chronologically you found out you were adopted. Yes. And then to deal with all the, you know, the emotions, the implications of that. On the surface, one might immediately think, eh, you know what, this can be kind of tricky here in terms of the way in which we process life itself. Yet you seem even keel through the process. Was it ever hair-raising for you? Oh, yeah, several times. Very hair-raising. But I have, a, I have a way of processing even the most disturbing news um, and accepting it in, in a calm way um i may be i may be a little hyper when it happens you know and, and and very upset and but i i talk myself through it and my wife helped tremendously through the whole journey and we uh we just we discussed everything every night you know i would go out and i would investigate all day and um i, ran, I had my own business at the time so i was able to take days off whenever i needed to to drive up north and go see another bartender that knew my mother back in the day and um, get a little more information about what went on in the 1950s in my town that we so quickly moved out of. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it just, um, it, it was very disturbing and very hair-raising at times. But in the end, uh, when I had it all put together, I felt pretty calm about it. What what can you see the dramatization of this story adding to its presentation and understanding by a large audience? Well, if, and I originally wrote the manuscript in the first person as it happened. Mm-hmm with all the facts and all the people and all the places. And uh, with any true story, 
it's not a movie script, so therefore you're going to have sections that lag right. in continuity or in, in excitement and pace. So when I decided to novelize it, it was like a grand awakening because I was able to fill in those gaps and take out those sections that perhaps dragged and maybe were irrelevant to the big picture. Mm -hmm. And that uh, gave me that ability to do that. So the, the novel in its present form, I did a little calculation, 90% truth and 10% fiction. And most of the 10% is at the end, the resolution. Because the resolution I got was through third-hand accounts from people who were there at the time. Um, and I couldn't substantiate everything. But uh, we, I pretty much figured the story out from the last few people who were there at the end. And actually, uh, I interviewed a lady not that long ago who was uh, lived in our neighborhood down the shore. And uh, she filled in the, the missing blanks at the end of the story. Um, as disturbing as it was. And, and, and she didn't want to tell me for several years because of the nature of it. You know, I, I was actually harmed and I was scalded in a hot shower and fell down a flight of stairs as, as a toddler, um, which was traumatic. And mm -hmm. I take cold showers to this day. It's mm. uh, affected me my whole life. Whew. I mean, the different things that... that you have been through, then the whole experience with this book um, as well, and also where this is going to take you. Because, you know, you, I use that term um, journey, journey really in starting our discussion today, but it is. It's like this is a journey that starts one way you, know, you used a phrase when we first met earlier today it makes that left turn at albuquerque yeah <laughs> right. a little bugs bunny reference right. <laughs> maybe a right turn at fairbanks alaska i mean it, it's it's all it can take you literally all over the place and that's the interesting and intriguing aspect of this book as i told patrick when i met him this morning it's the type of book when you pick it up too that you start reading it and you just can't put it down. In fact, you just don't want to put it down because it's that kind of a compelling thing. Now, as an author, he loves hearing this sort of thing from somebody who's saying that. The book, again, is entitled Decades of Deception. It's a novel of family intrigue. It's based on a true story. Patrick Callahan is our guest on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. Hear that? That's the sound of speechless. Like when you give her an unforgettable gift from Jared the Galleria of Jewelry. Whether it's one of the hundreds of new pieces in our collection, one of the exclusive pieces you can only find at Jared, or a custom piece we create just for you, Jared is the place to find the gift I love it. that takes her breath away. And that's why he went to Jared. Don't stress about the chaos of the holidays. Strategize. With the free Spot Hero app, you can book great parking everywhere you go and save time and money that you can spend on enjoying the actual holidays. With promo code SAVE, you'll even get $10 off your first parking spot. That's promo code SAVE. Spot Hero. Park smarter. Modern life deserves a modern way to pay. 
So if there's a new addition to your family and you're almost out of diapers, just use MasterPass to buy them online. And if you forgot to thank your mother-in-law for helping out, did you see the smile? Just use MasterPass to buy your flowers from your phone. Oh, you shouldn't have. You know, you guys should go do something special. I'll babysit. You can even use MasterPass to get a perfect outfit for that long overdue date night. You look beautiful, honey. And if you want, you can use MasterPass to pick up the tab for that special dinner so you can be home for bedtime. More time with your family? Priceless. MasterPass, the simple way to pay online and on your phone. Don't just buy it. MasterPass it. Sign up for your CityPay MasterPass at masterpass.com city. Available at participating merchants. Baseball fans, are you looking for that absolute perfect holiday gift for the Mets or Yankees fan in your life? Well, we found it for you. Go to MLBShop.com and enter the keyword Game Time Watches and check out the great assortment of Mets, Yankees, and all Major League Baseball watches. Game Time is the leader in licensed sports watches. Go to the MLBShop.com, type in the keyword Game Time Watches, and find that perfect gift for your dad, mom, uncle, friend, or even your secret Santa. It's not only holiday time, it's not only gift-giving time, it's Game Time. Everyone knows Geico could save you a ton on car insurance, but there are other savers out there who deserve to be acknowledged more than us. So Geico is honoring the hometown heroes whose priority it is to keep us safe. Today's shout out is to the men and women of law enforcement, working round the clock to make sure our kids, the elderly, and everyone throughout the tri-state area is as safe as possible so our communities can truly flourish. To them, a big thank you from the folks at GEICO. GEICO, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit us at GEICO.com. Driving in New York City is not easy. You're stuck behind stopping buses, a sea of cabs, delivery trucks, and those things with steam coming out of them. You may be tempted to floor it and get ahead of them, but don't. The Vision Zero initiative wants to remind you that speeding is a leading cause of traffic deaths. Driving isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just follow the speed limit. Good morning at 6.40. I'm Dave Uram. Another drama-filled week for the 2-9 Giants. Leads into a predicament big blue fans can't believe. Ben McAdoo is starting Geno Smith, the quarterback today, against the 5-6 and six Oakland Raiders. At the end of the day, my job is to make sure we have a clear evaluation of the players in the room. Kickoff 425 right here in the fan. Pre-game at 210. 4-7 Jets will try to keep their slim playoff hopes alive in MetLife against the 6-5 and five Chiefs, who are expected to debut former gangrene corner Darrell Revis. I don't think it's any extra, uh, you know, motivation. You know, throughout my career, it's all, always been about timing. You know, I just felt at, you know, where I was at in, in my training that I was uh, fit and ready to come back to play football. Not a sure thing, trying to figure out all four teams for today's college football playoff announcement. Number eight, Ohio State beat number four, Wisconsin, 27-21 for the Big Ten title, making their case to be one of those squads. However, Wisconsin losing could open the door for Alabama. Number six, Georgia took the SEC title, 28-7 over number two, Auburn. Number one, Clemson, much better than number seven, Miami, 38-3 in the ACC title game. Number three, Oklahoma, 41-17 over number 11, TCU for the Big 12 championship. Knicks welcome in the magic to the Garden this afternoon, Ennis Cantor and company might be without Kristaps Porzingis, who's questionable because of his ankle and sickness. Well, I mean, of course, he's a big part of our family, and uh, if you're when your best players uh, are not playing, 
Uh, it just makes you like you know really a little nervous. That courtesy of SNY, New York lost to Orlando in November by 13 minus KP. Nets with 19 turnovers and 26 less points in the paint than the Atlanta Hawks yesterday. Lost to Barclays Center 114-102. Ex-Devil Scott Wedgwood shut out his former team a 5-0 win for the Coyotes in Arizona. College Hoops victories for St. John's, UConn, Fordham, Stony Brook, and Iona. Syracuse and Manhattan lost. Golf Tiger Woods a 3 over 75 in round 3 of the Hero World Challenge. He is 10 strokes back. With reports every 20 minutes. Dave Uram, WFAN 2020 Sports. Mike Francesa will broadcast his next to last show on Thursday, December 14th from the Paley Center in Midtown Manhattan. Listen to Mike's show beginning again tomorrow in the 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m., and 4 p.m. hours for your chance to win tickets to be there. It's all from your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in discussion with Patrick Callahan on our program. He's the author of Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. He's in studio talking with us on our program this Sunday morning. We go until 7.30. You mentioned early on in this discussion the book's forward comes from an interesting individual yes uh none other than uh film critic rex reed um rex has been a friend of mine for 40 years i met him in Summerstock theater down at the jersey shore mm-hmm. and he was in a uh, a play um and i was working designing sets and props and things like that so I brought in some music uh, and some writing to him one day, and we sat poolside at his hotel on the ocean. And he read some of my stuff, and I played him some songs I had written. And he really liked the music. He liked the writing. And he had some friends there, and they, they concurred. They thought it was very good. So he um, kind of shopped things around for me in the city uh, with some of the music publishers and uh, uh, literary publishers. Didn't get anywhere with it. It's a very tough business, as everyone knows. Um, So we kept in contact, and then we lost touch. And about every 10 years, we'd reconnect. So um, about 10 years ago, I sent him my original manuscript. And uh, he loved the book. um, And he tried to, again, to help me. And uh, he took it around to some literary agents and some publishers and they were concerned about the liability of the story because I had told it in the first person as it happened. And uh, they, were, they were concerned about the liability and they liked the writing, but they passed on it for that reason. So Rex said, you may want to novelize this. And I said, well, I think that's a good idea. And that's what drove me to uh, novelize the story, change the names, change the places, other than my immediate family. And... Um, once I completed everything last year, I sent it to Rex Reed. He loved it. Again, he shopped the book around for me, uh, but nothing came of it. So he said, let me do the next best thing. I'll write the foreword for you, and it will add some legitimacy to your book and perhaps open some doors. And uh, So he, therefore, he wrote the foreword, and he said to me, I, he sent me a Word document, and he said, do with it what you want. You have my permission. You can edit it, change it, take parts out that you don't like. And I said, Rex, I'm not changing one word because he wrote it like he wrote his 
film uh, uh, reviews mm-hmm. uh, in that same style. Um, although I got an A plus, <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't get a, a B minus on the uh, on the writing. But he he, so he complimented me on the book, and at the end of the conversation, he kind of chuckled with a sly chuckle, and he said, "You ain't no Capote." And I said, I'm, no, I'm not Compote. I'm a Callahan, and I write like a Callahan. So he laughed at that. But uh, he, he, he accused me of writing in a, a detective novel uh, using that form, and uh, maybe a little bit, but I thought more of a movie script. And uh, I try not to be overly descriptive because I think that tends to get it drags. If it takes three pages to tell you that it's cold and it's raining today, I think you it gets a little boring. So I'm, I try to say in a few sentences or a paragraph what I can say in 20 pages. And I think that's part of the appeal of the book because it's, a, it's an easy read. Uh, you keep going through it. You're not caught in, up in a lot of alliteration. Um, so he, he kind of agreed with that, you know. And it's my style. And, but he did, he did like it. So um, I got his seal of approval and his forward. Uh, Hopefully uh, that will move things forward. Well, one would think, you know, that, first of all, it's a very nice gesture on his part. And one would think, yeah, that's going to help the book. Yes. um, One certainly would hope so. Now, with this book, I understand you're also working, dare I say, on a sequel. Yes, uh, people have suggested it to me, so I have a synopsis for a, a sequel. But I, my preference would be to write a second follow-up novel mm-hmm. in a totally different genre and a totally different feel, which I'm three-quarters of the way through it now. Um, but I do have a synopsis, so I'm, I'll see what public opinion has to say, but I would like to uh, show them what else I can do. With the second novel that I'm most of the way through now. Are you always writing? Yes. The mind's always going. I always have a notepad. Uh, constantly get ideas. I wake up in the middle of the night and get an idea. My, my wife can attest to that. <clears throat> if it's a song idea, the guitar comes out, you know, and I start strumming. But um, Wait a minute. In the middle of the, middle of the night? Yeah. You ever, ever hear the Kenny Rogers song, <laughs> <laughs> He Believes in Me? It happened. <laughs> But yeah, I'm always, always uh, creating. I, I love it, and it's it's my passion, and, and uh, always has been. Keeps me going. What got you started writing? Um, it just came naturally to me, like artwork and like anything creative. Uh, it just I always did, even as a child. I just uh, I, for a long time. You know, my 20s and 30s and into my 40s, I ran an electrical contracting business and I worked as an electrician prior to that. And, you know, I had to pay the bills. So I uh, made that my career because I I was pursuing a music career in the 70s and 80s. I had a writing partner. We were here in the city many times at record companies and publishers. And we came very close to uh, getting a deal, but it never happened. So I decided to move on in the late 70s, early 80s into uh, the electrical field. 
no pun intended, um, or pun intended. <laughs> and that became, and writing sort of took a back seat for many years. Oh, I, I still did it, but it wasn't as, as frequently as passionately until uh, this revelation and I started to uh, write the book and then it all came out again and music came back and art came back and I did the illustrations for uh, decades. Um, so I wanted to get some of my artwork in there as well as some photographs uh, throughout the book. Now, when we talk about the topic of adoption, you know, to go back to some of the things you were mentioning earlier in our discussion, um, I thought as I was listening to you then, is this part of... Um, misperceptions that there are about what adoptions really like what it's really like for a child that's adopted yeah i think people can have misconceptions i mean i think i did until i experienced it mm -hmm. yeah. and when you think about the need the number of kids waiting to be adopted. I mean, it's just, it always blows me away when I hear the numbers um, and think of what must that be like? You know? <clears throat> yeah, and I, I couldn't imagine that feeling, no. but I, I have a glimpse at it now. Yeah. If, uh, actually, my parents, Eleanor and Artie, um, they were wonderful people, and uh, they saved my life uh, because I certainly would have um, had a horrible childhood at the hands of my birth mother. Um, she did some horrible things to all her children, um, did horrible things to my parents, um, which I don't want to get into too much because I, uh, I'd rather people read it, mm -hmm. but um, unforgivable things. And... Uh, you know, it caused my adoptive mother to uh, turn to drugs and painkillers to drown the pain. And uh, her body fell apart, and she passed away at 51 years old. And the frightening thing for me was to realize that my birth mother caused the demise of my adoptive mother. It was basically her fault that she did this to this poor woman. And I found that unforgivable. And I, I met my birth mother in 1996 or 97 and um, got to know her for six months. And I was researching the story at the time, interviewing people and writing. And what I was learning at that time was so disturbing that I had to end the relationship. Wow. Because I can only imagine the kind of pain you were feeling inside. It was very painful, yes. Yeah. Um. Mm. When you were doing the investigating that you've talked with us a little bit about, 
where did you go, go or wind up going that was dangerous? Well, some of the neighborhoods uh, where my birth mother frequented and different taverns and uh, her neighborhood was, uh, could be called sleazy, mm-hmm. particularly after dark. Um, there were some unsavory characters out there that you wouldn't want to run into in a dark alley. But uh, and the other dangerous part of it was um, my story involved police officers from that town way back when. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were involved in corruption in a baby-selling ring along with these attorneys. And when I started investigating, a lot of these retired police officers who are now in their 70s and 80s were very upset with me because I was very close to blowing the lid off of uh, this whole CD empire that was running in the 50s and 60s in Essex County. So uh, this is what I uncovered, a lot of it. And I, I was really trying to uncover my story, but I didn't realize how big the story was until I started digging into all these lives of these cops and people that frequented those taverns and at the, in those days. And I actually got a threatening phone call from a uh, retired police officer who wouldn't identify himself. That was going to be my question to you was, did you ever get any threats of people telling you to stop or lay off? Yeah, that's exactly what the phone call was about. Well, it wasn't me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you then, Bob. <laughs> but the person actually said those words. Yes. Wow. How do you react when somebody says that to you? I reacted with shock, and before I could respond, I heard click and a dial tone. Mm. I had a good idea who it was later, Mm -hmm. and that gentleman passed away not long after that. But uh, I knew I had stumbled upon something big, bigger than me, and um, I was shocked. You know, I and it also blocked my investigation because I only want to know about me, but. I was finding out all this stuff that was going on that affected so many lives that it was becoming very hazardous for me to continue my investigation. And I kind of pulled back um, from that. And uh, I had to get my final answers from uh, the memories of of a few people from way back when uh, to to finish the book. And what was that like? as disturbing as everything else was, it just was a, a very, very disturbing story. And, and I, had to, I had to come with a good ending. I had to come up with a good ending. The resolution um, made it all worthwhile, and I came out okay. And, and I think I did that um, by saying that I had my family now of my own. We were happy. And despite all, all of that, you know, we, uh, it, it turned out okay for me. Actually, more than okay, but actually very good. Hmm. Again, it's an amazing story. The book is entitled Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. Patrick Callahan is in studio on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. Website for the book again is? Yes, Bob. It's www.decadesofdeception.com. If you go to the website, uh, there are Amazon links there. 
uh, that will bring you right to the, my book page, uh, where you can order a paperback for $9.99 and a Kindle is $2.99. When you get feedback on this book, and you've gotten some, and some very positive things have been said, what's that like for you? Um, it's very uh, rewarding for me and reassuring uh, that I'm doing about it the right way and, and my story did have a positive ending um, and I hope it helps some people you know perhaps that were in a situation that maybe had some of the same aspects as my adoption story I certainly for anyone to go through what I went through might might be a stretch mm -hmm. but uh, there are certainly uh, aspects that uh, could happen to others that you know has bothered them and and uh, the book tells you how to deal with it to deal with those sad realities and also it is a fact that you can deal with it yes too. that's the the other thing that's really very important to uh, touch upon here um, Patrick Callahan is with us on our program on the fan this morning the book begins entitled Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. We're going to talk more with you, continue um, talking about this book, talk to a little bit too about the topic of adoption as uh, Patrick has shared uh, some of his insights, some of his experiences with us on our program today. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion with Patrick Callahan on our program. He's the author of Decades of Deception, a novel of a family intrigue based on a true story. He's in studio talking with us on our program this Sunday morning. We go until 7.30. You mentioned early on in this discussion, the book's forward comes from an interesting individual. Yes, uh, none other than uh, film critic Rex Reed. Um, Rex has been a friend of mine for 40 years. I met him in Summerstock Theater down at the Jersey Shore, mm -hmm. and he was in a, uh, a play, um, and I was working designing sets and props and things like that. So I brought in some music uh, and some writing to him one day, and we sat poolside at his hotel on the ocean and he read some of my stuff and I played him some songs I had written and he really liked the music he liked the writing and he had some friends there and they they concurred they thought it was very good so he um, kind of shopped things around for me in the city uh, with some of the music publishers and uh, uh, literary publishers could didn't get anywhere with it it's a very tough business as everyone knows um, so we kept in contact, and then we lost touch. And about every 10 years, we'd reconnect. So um, about 10 years ago, I sent him my original manuscript. And uh, he loved the book. Um, and he tried to, again, to help me. <clears throat> and uh, he took it around to some literary agents and some publishers. And they were concerned about the liability of the story, because I had told it in the first person as it happened. 
and uh, they were they were concerned about the liability, and they liked the writing, but they passed on it for that reason. So Rex said, you may want to novelize this. And I said, well, I think that's a good idea. And that's what drove me to uh, novelize the story, change the names, change the places, other than my immediate family. And um, once I completed everything last year, I sent it to Rex Reed. He loved it. Again, he shopped the book around for me, uh, but nothing came of it. So he said, let me do the next best thing. I'll write the foreword for you. And it will add some legitimacy to your book and perhaps open some doors. And uh, so he, therefore, he wrote the forward. And he said to me, I, he sent me a Word document. And he said, do with it what you want. You have my permission. You can edit it, change it, take parts out that you don't like. <laughs> and I said, Rex, I'm not changing one word because he wrote it like he wrote his film uh, uh, reviews mm-hmm. uh, in that same style. Um, although I got an A+. Plus. <laughs> I wasn't... I didn't get a, a B minus on the uh, on the writing, but he he so he complimented me on the book, and at the end of the conversation, he kind of chuckled with a sly chuckle, and he said, "You ain't no Capote," <laughs> and I said, "I'm no, I'm not Capote. I'm a Callahan, and I write like a Callahan." So he laughed at that, but uh, he 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 accused me of writing in a, a detective novel uh, using that form, and uh, maybe a little bit. But I thought more of a movie script. And uh, I try not to be overly descriptive because I think that tends to get it drags. If it takes three pages to tell you that it's cold and it's raining today, I think it gets a little boring. So I'm, I try to say in a few sentences or a paragraph what I can say in 20 pages. And I think that's part of the appeal of the book because it's, a, it's an easy read. You keep going through it. You're not caught in, up in a lot of alliteration. Um, so he, he kind of agreed with that, you know, and it's my style. And, but he did, he did like it. So um, I got his seal of approval and his forward. Uh, so hopefully uh, that will move things forward. Well, one would think, you know, that, first of all, it's a very nice gesture on his part. And one would think, yeah, that's going to help the book. Yes. One certainly would hope so. Now, with this book, I understand you're also working, dare I say, on a sequel? Yes, uh, people have suggested it to me. So I have a synopsis for a, a sequel. But I, my preference would be to write a second follow-up novel mm-hmm. in a totally different genre and a totally different feel, which I'm three-quarters of the way through it now. Um, but I do have a synopsis, so I'm, I'll see what public opinion has to say, but I would like to uh, show them what else I can do uh, with the second novel that I'm most of the way through now. Are you always writing? Yes. The mind's always going. I always have a notepad. Uh, constantly get ideas. I wake up in the middle of the night and get an idea. My, my wife can attest to that. <clears throat> if it's a song idea, the guitar comes out, you know, and I start strumming. But um, Wait a minute, in the middle of the, middle of the night? Yeah, you ever, you ever hear the Kenny Rogers song, <laughs> <laughs> He Believes in Me? It happened. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always always uh, creating. I, I love it, and it's, it's my passion, and, and uh, always has been. 
keeps me going. What got you started writing? Um, it just came naturally to me, like artwork and like anything creative. Uh, it just, I always did, even as a child. I just, uh, I, for a long time, in, you know, my 20s and 30s and into my 40s, I ran an electrical contracting business and I worked as an electrician prior to that and, you know, I had to pay the bills, so I uh, made that my career because I, I was pursuing a music career in the 70s and 80s. I had a writing partner. We were here in the city many times at record companies and publishers and we came very close to uh, getting a deal, but it never happened. So I decided to move on in the late 70s, early 80s into uh, the electrical field, no pun intended, um, or pun intended. <laughs> and that became, and writing sort of took a back seat for many years. Oh, I, I still did it, but it wasn't as, as frequently, as passionately until uh, this revelation and I started to uh, write the book and then it all came out again and music came back and art came back and I did the illustrations for uh, decades. Um, so I wanted to get some of my artwork in there as well as some photographs uh, throughout the book. Now, when we talk about the topic of adoption, you know, to go back to some of the things you were mentioning earlier in our discussion, um, I thought as I was listening to you then, is this part of... Um, misperceptions that there are about what adoption's really like, what it's really like for a child that's adopted? Yeah, I think people can have misconceptions. I mean, I think I did until I experienced it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you think about the need the number of kids waiting to be adopted. I mean, it's just, it always blows me away when I hear the numbers um, and think of what must that be like? You know? <clears throat> yeah, and I, I couldn't imagine that feeling, no. but I, I have a glimpse at it now. Yeah. If, uh, actually... My parents, Eleanor and Artie, um, they were wonderful people, and uh, they saved my life uh, because I certainly would have um, had a horrible childhood at the hands of my birth mother. Um, she did some horrible things to all her children, um, did horrible things to my parents, um, which I don't want to get into too much because I, uh, I'd rather people read it, mm -hmm. but um, unforgivable things. And... Uh, you know, it caused my adoptive mother to uh, turn to drugs and painkillers to drown the pain. And uh, her body fell apart and she passed away at 51 years old. And the frightening thing for me was to realize that my birth mother caused the demise of my adoptive mother. It was basically her fault 
that she did this to this poor woman. And I found that unforgivable. And I, I met my birth mother in 1996 or 97 and um, got to know her for six months. And I was researching the story at the time, interviewing people and writing. And what I was learning at that time was so disturbing that I had to end the relationship. Wow. Because I can only imagine the kind of pain you were feeling inside. It was very painful, yes. Yeah. Um. Mm. When you were doing the investigating that you've talked with us a little bit about, where did you go or wind up going? That was dangerous. Well, some of the neighborhoods uh, where my birth mother frequented and different taverns and uh, her neighborhood was, uh, could be called sleazy, mm-hmm. particularly after dark. Um, there were some unsavory characters out there that you wouldn't want to run into in a dark alley. But uh, and the other dangerous part of it was... Um, my story involved police officers from that town way back when, mm-hmm. and uh, they were involved in corruption and a baby-selling ring along with these attorneys. And when I started investigating, a lot of these retired police officers who are now in their 70s and 80s were very upset with me because I was very close to blowing the lid off of uh, this whole CD Empire that was running in the 50s and 60s in Essex County. So um, this is what I uncovered, a lot of it. And I, I was really trying to uncover my story, but I didn't realize how big the story was until I started digging into all these lives of these cops and people that frequented those taverns and at the, in those days. And I actually got a threatening phone call from a uh, retired police officer who wouldn't identify himself. That was going to be my question to you was, did you ever get any threats of people telling you to stop or lay off? Yeah, that's exactly what the phone call was about. Well, it wasn't me. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I didn't know you then, Bob. <laughs> but the person actually said those words. Yes. Wow. How do you react when somebody says it? I reacted with shock, and before I could respond, I heard click and a dial tone. Mm. I had a good idea who it was later, Mm -hmm. and that gentleman passed away not long after that. But uh, I knew I had stumbled upon something big, bigger than me, and um, I was shocked. You know, I and it also blocked my investigation because I only want to know about me, but. I was finding out all this stuff that was going on that affected so many lives that it was becoming very hazardous for me to continue my investigation. And I kind of pulled back um, from that. And uh, I had to get my final answers from uh, the memories of of a few people from way back when uh, to to finish the book. And what was that like? Um... 
as disturbing as everything else was. It just was a, a very, very disturbing story. And, and I, had to, I had to come with a good ending. I had to come up with a good ending. The resolution um, made it all worthwhile, and I came out okay. And, and I think I did that um, by saying that I had my family now of my own. We were happy. And despite all, all of that, you know, we, uh, it, it turned out okay for me. Actually, more than okay, but actually very good. Hmm. Again, it's an amazing story. The uh, book is entitled Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. Patrick Callahan is in studio on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. Website for the book again is? Yes, Bob. It's uh, www.decadesofdeception.com. If you go to the website, uh, there are Amazon links there. Uh, that will bring you right to the, my book page, uh, where you can order a paperback for nine ninety nine and a Kindle is two ninety nine. When you get feedback on this book, and you've gotten some, and some very positive things have been said, what's that like for you? Um, it's very uh, rewarding for me and reassuring uh, that I went about it the right way and, and my story did have a positive ending um, and I hope it helps some people you know perhaps that were in a situation that maybe had some of the same aspects as my adoption story I certainly for anyone to go through what I went through might might be a stretch mm-hmm. but uh, there are certainly uh, aspects that uh, could happen to others that, you know, has bothered them. And, and uh, the book tells you how to deal with it, to deal with those sad realities. And also, it is a fact that you can deal with it. Yes. Too. That's the, the other thing that's really very important to uh, touch upon here. Um, Patrick Callahan is with us on our program on the fan this morning. The book, again, is entitled Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. We're going to talk more with you, continue um, talking about this book, talk to a little bit, too, about the topic of adoption. As uh, Patrick has shared uh, some of his insights, some of his experiences with us on our program today. Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We are in a discussion with Patrick Callahan on our program today. He's in studio with us. He's the author of Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. And he's shared an awful lot with us since we started our program at 6 this morning. After our 8 o'clock update, it is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf. And after our 9 o'clock update, the Football Sunday program with uh, David Deal and Mark Malusis is along. Of course, at 7.30, it's the NFL preview program. Now, you know, a lot of what we've 
touched upon in talking about the book, talking a little bit about the topic of adoption. Um, some of the people listening may think, wait a minute, this sounds pretty heavy and heady. And um, In your work, in your approach, in your book, is there a lighter side that you share? Yes, I felt the story needed a little comedy relief, uh, which actually happened. Um, during my investigation, I kind of hit some dead ends. I wasn't getting anywhere. So I decided to hire a private investigator who uh, was recommended to me by one of my customers. Mm -hmm. So I called this gentleman, and uh, he was a character. And I gave him a retainer. And uh, we went on a series of adventures together uh, trying to research my story. And they were, I was angry at the time because I felt he took my money and didn't provide any real service other than he was a bumbling private eye who, who, who was just funny. <laughs> and everything he did was, he was like an unconscious comedian. You know, he, he just, uh, he was a character. He, he just, uh, it was just many funny adventures. So I kind of interspersed him throughout the novel just to lighten it up a little bit because uh, of the heavy nature of the story. Um, and my editor said, take him out because he doesn't do anything for the storyline. And I said, but I need some comedy relief here. I said, you can't have all this serious, you know, dour circumstances and, you know, people need a break. So I, I fought to keep uh, this character Rocky Minetti in my, uh, mm -hmm. in my book. And I'm glad I did because uh, people have remarked that they found that funny, and it was it was kind of a little break from the action, as it were. Um, and but I, I'm glad I, I kept that character in there. Now I'm going to make an observation here because I, I've noticed something since I met you earlier this morning. It seems you have a very well developed sense of humor. This is true. Um. Has that served you well in your journey as well? Yes, it has. Because, again, I think it, uh, it adds comedy relief. And if you can't laugh, you know, in, in situations, especially uh, serious or sad or uh, horrible, mm -hmm. to use some adjectives, if, if you can't find something to laugh about, it would just depress you and drag you down so much that you wouldn't be able to function. And I think I deal with, you know, those kind of circumstances with humor. Um, I try to. And um, I, th I think it helps a lot. And I think that um, in, in discussions I've had with people regarding the book, I had a, a book club uh, that I spoke in front of uh, Thursday night. A ladies, uh, retired ladies uh, uh, teacher's uh, book club the retired teachers of Wall Township. And uh, it was at a lady's home. Everybody had a glass of red wine. I sat in this roundtable discussion. And, and like teachers, they had my book, and they had all these bookmarks with all these questions for me. And I was surprised to find that two of these ladies had taught me in my youth. Was that intimidating at all that they had all the questions for you? And then you pile in the fact that you had two former teachers? Yeah, it was rather intimidating. And I... They gave me a chair. They're all sitting on these rounded couches, you know, <laughs> relaxing. And I'm in this wooden chair, like, facing all these ladies. 
and the the woman's husband's sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Don't worry, I got your back," <laughs> and he did. And he taught me too in in high school, I think. So uh, <laughs> I, I got into the discussion, and um, they started firing away with the questions, and um, some were pretty easy to answer. And I went on, you know, a nice tangent and gave my view on things. And there were two ladies there that were hitting me with hard line questions. Um, and I was having trouble answering them I, in my mind, but I, I did. So at the end of the evening, all these ladies left and the, the hostess and the host were sitting there talking to me. And the hostess, who was a retired teacher, was getting all these text messages from all these ladies that he loved the presentation and what a great book and he was so good and we liked him a lot. So she gets the two last text messages were from the naysayers. So she looks up at me and she goes, you have turned the naysayers around. <laughs> so uh, I, I, was, I was happy for that. I was, I was happy that I was able to do that. And I think I did it with some humor. Mm-hmm. So it was a good evening. As you begin the writing process... Do you have a routine? Well, one thing I do is I'm constantly, my mind is always going. So I have a notebook that I always carry with me and I jot ideas down. And I find that if I have a lot of inspiration that I need to sit down at the computer with all my notes and I got to write it all out. And sometimes I'll spend a whole day hopefully like a rainy or snowy day and I don't feel guilty about, you know, being indoors and (laughs) the sun shining and, you know, I'm not taking a walk with my wife around the neighborhood. But uh, uh, when I'm inspired, I I find that I have to sit down and get it all out. And there's sometimes I just have a couple of ideas and there's days where I plan to write and I just don't feel it. So then I go take a walk with my wife in the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I ask you that is um, there are people who are listening to our discussion today who at some point in their lives or perhaps now um, they've had that idea for that great American novel or some other publication. What would you say to them as a form of encouragement? Two words, write it, and uh, pursue your passion. And in this day and age, you can self-publish. So, you know, uh, I recommend getting a a good editor, editor, which I I paid an editor to go through a a full full edit, um, which you want. Uh, But uh, then keep refining your manuscript. But if you feel the passion to write, I think that you should do it and finish it. So we all start things, but we don't finish. <laughs> and, and I'm guilty of that myself. And I, my whole life, because I had all these interests and these passions for different venues of art, I found myself painting and then writing and then playing music. And, and I never finished anything. I finished some things, but I, I kept getting tugged away from what I was doing. So I finally made up my mind to sit down and write this book, however long it took me, finish it right to the bitter end, get it out there. And finally I did. 
And I'm very proud of that. And I, I think my family's very, very proud. And uh, my girls have read the book. Uh, my daughter, Claire, she's 21. Um, she just said, wow, Dad. And she, she likes to write. She, she just would, couldn't believe what I went through. Because she was, she was little mm-hmm. uh, when all this was going on. And my youngest daughter, Kate, who's 18, she's going to Brown University now. A very good writer, artist, singer. Um, she just she has some a lot of my talents, but she's got the the brain of a of a genius uh, in my mind. Um, but uh, she actually wrote a review and she critiqued it, and she actually found grammatical errors that the editor missed. <laughs> so <laughs> I went in there and I fixed it all, and I, I said, you know, you're right. Um, so really pure genius, but, uh, that was, that was it. And, uh, um, there's another person I want to give credit to, um, with, with the book and that's, uh, our, our cousin, uh, Ryan Sanzari, who actually designed it, did all the graphics, did the, uh, formatting, did all the many hours of editing with me, uh, invaluable. And, and I really uh, appreciate all that, all that he did. Um, he spent over 200 hours on my book and, um, I, you know, it, it wouldn't be where it is now without Ryan and, uh, he's as much of a pr- perfectionist and an artist as I am. So I think, uh, I came away feeling that I had a great product. I had no regrets and I had no questions like maybe I should have done this, done that. I walked away feeling I had a good finished first novel. And I think, uh, Put in the right hands. I think it will be a great uh, published novel with a, with a traditional publisher, and I think it would make a great feature film. And Rex Reed feels that as well. He'll buy the first ticket. It's what his forward says. <laughs> and I, it was great words of encouragement from a great friend of mine and uh, a very nice man. That is the voice of our guests on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. Patrick Callahan is talking with us. Uh, he's the author of Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. And we are in discussion with David Call- or with uh, Patrick Callahan on our program on the Fan uh, this morning. He's the author of Decades of Deception, a novel of family intrigue based on a true story. Now, there are people who've joined us at points in our discussion. I always think people are automatically locked in from six o'clock straight through the program, but people have joined us at various points. How did you come to do Decades of Deception? It all started uh, in 1996. I was 40, and shortly after my 40th birthday, I discovered I was adopted at birth. I was an only child. My parents had both passed away, and they died with the secret. Uh, my remaining relatives didn't want to talk about it. They were very angry about it and would give me no information. So I decided to uh, conduct an investigation into my family's past and mine and see where I came from see what happened and what caused all of this secrecy. And uh, in the coming five years, 
I discovered quite a disturbing tale um, that started with my adoption, and uh, it inspired me to write the book. In doing the book, I asked you this earlier, but I'm going to ask you again. How did this change you? Well, it made me a better person. I think as any experience, especially a difficult experience, does because you learn so much from difficult circumstances and how you deal with them and how you accept them. And I think the key word here is acceptance. Um, and I, I came to accept the, uh, the disturbing facts of my adoption um, which the only thing my relatives told me was illegal. I had adoption papers that I f found through an attorney, but uh, apparently everything was doctored up and made up. And uh, it, it, they created a perfect tale, and, and they used people's names and information who ne didn't necessarily have anything to do with it. And I, I interviewed the remaining people who were still alive at the time that my parents knew or who were involved with this attorney, and they were very upset that their name was used and they had nothing to do with the events that unfolded. So I knew that I had to get to the bottom of the whole story. My Scorpio nature took over and I, <laughs> I became very uh, passionate about uh, finding out the truth about my life. And, you know, I'm thinking you had to track these people down. Um, which, you know, that's an, an effort. There's a lot of work has gone into this. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a lot of uh, good old-fashioned detective work, pounding the pavement, as they say, and knocking on doors and going into uh, seedy taverns and apartment houses and uh, interviewing lawyers and cops and bartenders and uh, you name it. And uh, I, I talked to them all and... Uh, I found out a lot of interesting things. A lot of it was disturbing, particularly for me. Um, and I, I did find my birth mother. And after about six months of getting to know her and researching my story and learning more facts of what went on, I decided to end the relationship um, because she had done some terrible things to my parents. And uh, this book tells the story of that and how I came out of it, and uh, how I survived it all, and came to realize that I, I have a good life now. I have um, my wife, Tina, my beautiful wife, and uh, uh, my two beautiful daughters, Claire and Kate, and uh, the resolution to my story is that it all turned out good for me, despite everything that I learned. Do you ever question yourself on how it is that you maintained your sanity during all this? I used to ask myself that all the time and because I became obsessed with this investigation mm -hmm. to the point where you know, I went to see a psychologist because I was having so much trouble you know, processing all the information and, and learning all the facts. And, and when I sat there and talked to him, he looked at me and he said, I'm not so worried about that, but I'm more worried about your relationship with your wife because you're you're kind of leaving your family in the dust while you're going on this crusade. And I had to snap myself out of it. And I realized that, yeah, I was getting too obsessed. And I kind of pulled back. And I, I was getting to the end of my investigation by then. So I did, um, I did conclude the search. 
kept my family intact and my sanity. <laughs> and uh, I wrote the book. <laughs> and I, I just hope that um, I hope the book does well. And I, but most of all, I hope that it helps other people who've maybe gone through some similar experiences, particularly in adoption and maybe uh, questionable circumstances to their adoption. Uh, to where it's bothered them for many years. And um, I'd like to say to them that do your own research and your own soul searching and try to find your own peace um, with you know, what, what bothers you about it all. Because you can tend to go on for years. You know, and I never wanted to wallow in self-pity uh, with what happened to me and my parents. And I, you know, I think... That's very bad for you. And I think that's where the sense of humor comes into. <laughs> it's always important to have that sense of humor and that ability to laugh. Yes. And to know exactly when it's time to laugh, too. Um, I want to thank you very much for joining us on our program today. Uh, certainly wish you continued peace in your life. Decades of Deception, the book, Patrick Callahan, our guest on our program on the fan decadesofdeception.com, the website. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Bob. I really enjoyed uh, being on your show and, and speaking with you about this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.